Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. Stick around. We do a lot with your questions and your comments, so I'm going to give you that phone number, 503-766-6264. If you hear anything you'd like us to cover in more detail or have a question about tech or pop culture, that's the best way to send it in. Or if you want to do it online, we actually do that too. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. We're going to be going over a couple of different things this week, including some of the repercussions of Flash going away. We've talked about that in the past and a number of other things that you will find interesting. Today's news is brought to you by Trees Restaurant and Catering in Sherwood, home of shrimp and grits and great family dining. Outdoor dining and takeout are available. See eataattrees.com for more information. So what's in the news? SpaceX buying oil platforms. Yeah, you know, Elon Musk, gotta love him or hate him, but whatever it is, this is actually an interesting idea of recycling. And what he's doing is buying these platforms to be able to eventually use to launch his Starship. So they're launching out of Houston right now. And uh, this will be something that will actually be able to reuse something that's uh, kind of out there and being decommissioned. And we're assuming that they've stopped the oil flow. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> it would be kind of counterproductive. But yeah, we really don't need a SpaceX Valdez on our hands. No, no, that, that, that would definitely be a bad thing. But assuming they're doing it properly... The one cool thing about this is, is if something does go wrong with the rocket, it would come down in the water and, you know, potentially not start fires and some of these other things. So, yeah, you know, interesting direction. Definitely uh, has some controversy with some of the satellites and different things they're doing. But this is kind of an interesting idea. Russian Gamaru worm virus found on laptops given to low-income children in England. Yeah, and this is definitely an example of what can happen when things aren't watched. We just had the big solar winds hack here, and they're still determining how that got in there. And this is an example of something that was set up. And Bill, I know you know a little bit about how this got, actually got out there. Well, my understanding is is that they were handing out these laptops to children, and uh, in school district system, which I've worked in, you know, you just clone the computers. So at one stage, it got on one computer. They used that one to clone, and it just started, you know, hand, you're putting out computers that had this virus on it constantly. And you know, this is uh, more to the way of like our solar wind situation, where these foreign actors go to the weakest link in any system. In this case, they went to Department of Education for some reason, and uh, these have been going out. And of course, the gamma worm steals full information. It's not a matter of, oh, I need to change my password. It'll take your password and everything that's on it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's the whole thing now. It's, it, it was just a lot of times change your username and password, watch the activity. But we're getting to a point with this stuff now where it's getting much more sophisticated. They still try it the other way and it still does work. But this is a scenario here, um, like you were mentioning solar winds, where you get inside a system and then you're able to put this malware type software, the worm, whatever it is, into these things, and it makes it much, much more complicated to be able to deal with. Microsoft walking back, raising rates of their Xbox Gold membership. Yeah, now this is an interesting thing, and right now is probably not the best time to be pushing up these prices. But basically <laughs> what this comes down to is Xbox was wanting to eliminate one of their lower tiers of membership, which would force you to buy kind of the deluxe thing. And Bill, I think you can explain that a little bit better, too. 
So uh, when you have these Xbox uh, game passes and uh, the memberships for their systems, um, like the basic one is just uh, gives you some free stuff, costs a pretty medium or low amount every month to do, or, you know, if you get a yearly membership and that kind of stuff. Um, it also changes, uh, you know, it's like a satellite or uh, what is it? Cable p- packages where the bigger ones you get more, right. but they cost more. Well, what they did is they started trying to get everyone, oh, well, if you, you can buy this higher one for the same price while secretly trying to get rid of the lower one. And yeah, people weren't handling it very well because it was a forced thing. And then similar to uh, some other subscription-based things, I believe they were trying to move it to a monthly payment, not a like, you couldn't get Annual. like a year or three yeah. months anymore. I'm not mm. entirely sure on that one. That's just what I've heard. Yeah, well, they were wanting to push the price up enough so that you would pay monthly. And, you know, these subscriptions make a lot of money for these companies. It's like the same reason you buy Word on a subscription or Photoshop. It's not because they're trying to be nice. It's because they know that they make more money in smaller amounts, but over a greater period of time. And, you know, that's the same thing that we're seeing here. All of the main video game systems have these subscriptions in different levels. I know PlayStation does, too, and so does Nintendo Switch, where you can do different things. But... uh People definitely reacted to it, and the Microsoft, even though they're a big company and everything, definitely backed off. So, um, you know, sometimes you, you are heard. It's just <laughs> getting there, you know? And it is a matter that, like, doing that right now is a really tough one because you know, the new series of Xbox just launched, and these kind of changes, they can kill the system. Absolutely, absolutely, at the wrong time, and this was definitely the wrong time. Hmm. Data breach in Brazil exposes information of most of its citizens. Uh, 243 million, to be exact. Ouch. And uh, yeah. it's the Ministry of Health didn't encrypt the information uh, into their system very well. And they were able to get in there and get a lot of information out. And it's people's names, addresses, healthcare information, uh, the equivalent of their social security number, all this stuff got out. So this is a lot like we had two years ago with Experian. Uh, same idea, just all that information that's personal and you really don't want the world to happen. Well, it's it's out there now. Flash, end of life, having repercussions. Yeah, this is kind of a fun one. So what this is, is there's a train system in China that evidently was running on Flash. and That's even, a little odd, isn't yeah, it? It's a, it's, it seems like, you know, Flash is something for some games that have been out there and different things like that, but actually running a physical infrastructure like that you wouldn't necessarily think of it i mean i guess it could work it obviously did work because they did it but it was a situation where someone didn't get the message that flash was dying even though it's been announced for the past five years and in 2017 they gave the exact date the odd thing about this is the way that they fixed it though because they didn't upgrade the code or do anything like that they got a hacked version of flash that would still operate and they were down for about 20 hours. They got this thing installed. And I guess it's a form of success, really, when you think about it, because they did get the system back online. It's completely bootleg now, but um, it does function. But it's definitely something that uh, uh, you see this in a lot of different cases. We've got a lot of big companies here in the United States, too, that have had stuff shut down just because it wasn't updated. And, and then all of a sudden it stopped working. And Flash yeah, was wasn't there. Wasn't there a company that had training videos that um, yes, yes. stopped working? Uh, a local so. retailer or nationwide retailer actually uh, had that happen, and it actually stopped all of that from working. 
normally we do movie reviews every week, and with the world being completely upside down, I haven't been in a theater in six months now. We just got to do the uh, screener a couple of weeks ago, but I'd like to invite Steve Mailer. Steve, welcome. Hey, Bill. So you have been watching some movies like many of us have on online streaming services, and I know this is one you and I talked about before the show that you really liked, so I think even though this is not new in theaters, it's worth talking about. So what have you got? Well, Bill, I stumbled across this wonderful gem of a movie on Netflix, and it's a film titled My Week with Marilyn. It is based on the real-life event involving Marilyn Monroe coming to London, England to film a movie with Sir Laurence Olivier called The Prince and the Showgirl uh, around 1957. So it features a wonderful cast, uh, Judy Dench, who plays uh, the beloved M from many of the James Bond movies. And it's something of a Harry Potter universe reunion. It features actors like Eddie Redmayne, Emma Watson, Kenneth Branagh. So it's fun watching them stretch and do roles uh, outside of the Harry Potter universe. And it's just a very understated, non-flashy, but very, very good acting and very good storytelling. And it has uh, Michelle Williams, who plays the title role of Marilyn in a very, very beautiful, intelligent, and yet vulnerable. You really kind of get a sense of the vulnerability that Marilyn lived her life, especially coming to London and kind of being out of her a comfort zone of Hollywood, being in, in London. It chronicles some of the triumphs, the headaches, and the heartaches that the cast and crew went through uh, in the production of Prince and the Showgirl. It's really, really worth a watch. It's a, a very well done you movie. You know, I, it, 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 it's amazing how much stuff is out there that's really worth discovering. It is. I, it, it's just, you know, it's worth the time to sit down and kind of, uh, kind of look around and, and, and figure out what there is. And most of us have a Netflix subscription anyway, so right. it's not like it's going to cost anything. Exactly. So it's a, it's a good time. All right, give us the name of the movie again. It's called My Day. I'm sorry, it's called My Week with Marilyn. My Week. Okay, it's the week, not the day. Yes. My Week with Marilyn. All right. <laughs> On Netflix, hey, check it out. And if you like it, let us know. Steve, thank you. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. A lot of the topics we do on the show are driven by listener questions, and this one's no different. And we're going to talk a little bit about home security systems. And what these are is back in the day, you know, a long time ago in ancient times, so about 10 years ago, you would have to call a security company and they would come out and install a system. And the cost to do that sometimes could be pretty substantial depending on what you were doing and how much you wanted to cover. And since then, like everything else with the internet, this has changed a lot. And in this day and age, we now have what are called do-it-yourself, install-it-yourself systems. And you can buy these for not a lot of money in a lot of cases. There's still professional installation available on some of them, but it is definitely something that has driven down the market prices. The problem is, is with a lot of different things out there, there's a lot of different good ones and not so good ones. So we wanted to talk about this a little bit. And I think let's start with the uh, Ring doorbell system. Now, Gretchen and Jeremy, I know you guys have had a little experience with this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Uh, So far, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Ring Ring doorbell is a system that offers security cameras. That's where they started. 
Uh, you can buy a hub for it, which will allow you to add door sensors and motion sensors and all the conventional stuff that you would have with a security system. Ring is a subset of Amazon, so it's compatible with all of their smart speakers and stuff like that pretty directly. And uh, it's a system that you, in order to install it, is pretty straightforward, but it suffers from one of the things that I'm noticing more and personally I don't like and got, have gotten some feedback on it, that you have to have a mobile device to set it up. Did you guys run into that? Yes, and it was frustrating. I prefer to use my laptop. And um, I did look at the interface on the laptop, and it's not very good. So I had to kind of uh, force myself to try and deal with the the stuff on the phone. And the tablet just didn't want to do it right. So um, there's a feature where you need to scan. Uh, it's like a barcode. It's one of those square things. Mm -hmm. QR code. Yeah. And so I needed to scan that. And the tablet didn't want to do it for some reason. But my phone does a great job scanning it. So I had to be forced to use the itty-bitty teeny-weeny screen on my phone. <laughs> and, and the phone did a good job. It's just... I'm I'm more comfortable with my laptop. Yeah, it seems like being able to use both would would make a lot of sense. Now, if you're not an Amazon person but a Google person, Nest Nest Hello makes a video doorbell system as well, and also offers DIY installation, many of the same features, and is compatible with Google devices. And it seems to work pretty well. Now, one thing about Nest that's been going on lately is they've been limiting what third-party applications can run with it. And this has become a little bit of a problem just because of the fact that uh, if you have a smart home system, it may or may not be compatible now. So it's definitely something you want to check out. I run SmartThings, and as a for example, I have a lot of compatibility issues or would between Nest and SmartThings. And uh, Nest and Philips Hue is another one that's been dropped. So just something to think about and look at what technology you have and deciding which one to get here. Big one that we've seen advertised is one called Simply Safe. And uh, this system is also a DIY installation. It's $230 up front, and they send it to you, and you can basically set it up and then go from there. Now, one other thing that is a footnote to all of these systems is the fact that they generally come with some kind of a kit that will include maybe a camera, a motion sensor, a couple of door sensors. So you also want to look at the add-on prices, because if you want to, say, a door sensor on every door, and it only has one or two, and you have more than that number of doors, you're going to need to buy additional equipment on top of the upfront price. Um, did you guys run into that with your ring system? Well, the ring system came with like like a package deal. And there were there were the window, you know, window sensors, mm -hmm. and then there was a, a motion detector, and it seemed to work out pretty well. Okay. So, you know, it's just a it's just a matter of getting there. Now. Let's say you don't want to do DIY. You want professional installation, and there are some good options for that, too. I'm going to use Comcast as an example uh, just because we're up here in Portland, but most uh, cable companies offer home security now. Uh, ADT, those kind of companies offer similar things here, too. They charge $99 up front, but you have to have a contract for a monitoring plan to be able to kind of offset it. And if you want additional sensors based on the basic kit, you would have to pay for that. And that brings me to my next topic with this which is monitoring because the older systems, it was like 20 bucks a month and it was monitored and usually used your phone and that's how they did it. The way they're doing it now is actually very similar. Uh, some of the cost on this has come down, uh, again, to use the uh, ring system as an example, it's $10 a month and that includes professional monitoring. 
On my system, I also put in smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, and all of that is professionally monitored as well. And the other thing that's really cool about that system is the $10 includes if someone comes and steals a camera or your ring doorbell, video doorbell module or something off of your house, it's actually covered under the uh, maintenance contract that they'll replace it. So there are different odds and ends, and that type of thing varies from system to system as does the cost. Um, as a, for example, the uh, professional installed plans, again, Comcast here, uh, the monitoring is $40 per month during the first year, and then $50 after that. They offer discounts if you buy your cable TV. So you, you got to look at the differences here and see what is better for your situation. Now, did you guys do the monitoring on yours? We haven't done it yet. Um, I mean, I haven't like activated it to monitor it because we're home. Right so much, but we are going to do that. And I thought the $10 seemed pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think so. We've got about a minute left here. So I'll tell my story on, on the monitoring. And this is just something to think about when you do it. The older systems usually went over a landline phone line. Now, most of us don't have that anymore. So on the ring system and the, the Nest works this way, as well as most of the others, Simply Safe, it has a box that has backup power and a cell phone connection. So it's really cool if you disconnect the power, no one can cut a phone line, it'll still work, that type of thing. But we had a situation where we had a small kitchen fire from an appliance that uh, uh, was old, needed to be replaced, and finally gave its all, and it put a lot of smoke into the air. Well, what happens with this thing is it set off the smoke alarm and called the monitoring service. Okay, that's all fine and well, except I couldn't get it to disarm. So I kept dialing them and dialing them and dialing them again, and I couldn't disconnect the power. And I couldn't. <laughs> So uh, it definitely became an issue uh, when I had to call the uh, monitoring people. And I'm like, I know you've gotten four alarms, uh, but everything's under control. So to get them to stop, what we finally had to do was pull down the smoke detector and stick it somewhere there was no smoke. And uh, doing that seems to have gotten it to work. But it's just something to be aware of. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we attempt to answer them. How do you ask your questions? I'm so glad you asked. Give us a call, 503-766-6264, or send us your questions on social media, one user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter, or on our website at userfriendlynation.com. What questions do we have this week? Okay, this one sounds really weird, but um, I think it's appropriate at this current time. Do I need a $1,000 phone? Yeah, and this is a good question with the some of the high-end smartphones, and we've talked about this in the past, I know, can be really expensive. The higher-end iPhones and certainly a number of the Android phones like the new Samsungs that have come out onto the market and that type of a thing. And people are looking more and more to upgrade now because we are starting to actually move to a workable version of 5G. And we've talked about that in the past too, and they've had some implementation problems, but they're starting to get things standardized. It's very important that if you do buy a new phone, make sure that you have that capability because you're going to want it now. Otherwise, you're just going to be replacing again in a year or so. And the other side of it is, is make sure you get a phone that supports all the different versions of 5G and talk to your carrier about that. They'll be able to explain the difference and be able to get you something that'll go. So the ultimate question, do you need a $1,000 phone? 
I don't use one. I used to. I used to have a really high-end Samsung phone. I moved to a Pixel 3 about a year ago. I've been very happy with it, mainly because most of the stuff that I would have done on the high-end phone, I actually do on my tablet, which I did spend some money on. I got a Samsung tablet, which was really good. But it's kind of up to what you need to do and how you want to do it. And the other thing to keep in mind is since phones are portable, they can be dropped and that type of thing. So if you do get a higher-end expensive phone, get the insurance, get the accident stuff, because you're going to be really unhappy if you spend $1,000 and then it gets destroyed and it can't be fixed. So this kind of falls in with this whole category. What really is the difference between an iPhone and an Android phone? Yeah, another listener about question. $1, about $1,000. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, actually, this is a question that came in from a listener, and They've been using an iPhone since they came out, and, and what Bill just said about the difference in price is kind of a big deal with them. Uh, iPhone and Android phones are both smartphones. They're two different operating systems, and they're made by two different companies, the operating system. Apple makes all of their products, so any iPhone you get would be made by Apple versus Android phones where Google makes the operating system, but there are a lot of different manufacturers out there that actually make the devices. One of the differences between the two is that the actual apps, in other words, the software you get for them is their own unique ecosystems. Apple is locked. Google, you can actually get around that and download your own stuff under certain search situations. So there's different things there. However, if you're already using a Mac and are already on the Apple platform and their ecosystem, the iPhone might be a better idea just because it will be more directly compatible with your other computers. All right, here's another one tying into all this. Do BlackBerry phones still exist? I guess it's phone week, isn't it? Uh, kind of. <laughs> do BlackBerry phones still exist? Yeah, this is another two-parter. BlackBerry still exists, and they still manufacture phones. They manufacture phones that run on the Android operating system, and they've primarily moved to a security software company. So that's what they're out there, and that's what they do now. Anything that ran on the old BlackBerry OS, BlackBerry OS 10 or older, uh, has seen its end of life a number of years ago. I think it was in 2012. So those phones will no longer operate and are no longer supported. You do have to upgrade. And it's an interesting thing to think about this because I remember a time when everybody had BlackBerry and then all of a sudden they just kind of disappeared. But this is what happened to them. And this is where they went. Definitely a lot of people used them at the time. But yeah, they uh, are still probably out there in the sense of you could probably go to eBay and find one, but it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to activate it. You're not going to be able to put apps on it. Is it true that my credit score will be based upon web browsing history? So the way you read that question, let's. do you have an opinion on that question at all? Do you think this is a good idea? I think it sounds crazy. It sounds really, really bad. Well, wait, wait, wait. Does it mean if I, if, I, if I surf more, I get more credit? Basically, that's what it would come down to. This is actually a real thing. When the question came in, I was asking... Because it sounds kind of ridiculous. They want to use artificial intelligence to monitor your web browsing history, to figure out your spending patterns on sites like Amazon and elsewhere, and be able to use that as a part of your credit score. And that would mean exactly what was just said. If you browse more, conceivably, you could have better credit, you know, alongside the other things. And if you don't browse enough, or if you go out and spend money on things that whoever does the AI for this decides that you shouldn't spend money on, then it makes your credit look not so good. And I think my, this is stupid. Well, my question yeah. is, oh, what could possibly go wrong with something like this? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, this seems it seems slightly more intrusive than it already is. Yeah, so I wouldn't use slightly. I, I think that a lot of people. It's are also logical. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but we'll monitor this and see where it goes because it is a thing. 
This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is user-friendly 2.0, and we talk about technology a lot around here. I mean, you know, that's just kind of what we do. And it's interesting to look at how things have changed. We had the attack on the AT&T Center in uh, Tennessee a couple of weeks back, and I think it's one thing that points out how much we have come to depend and really depend on the Internet. This last week, they had a major outage on the East Coast which took out a lot of services like Gmail and Amazon hosting and a number of other things, Slack, which is a service that a lot of techies use for work. And things have really changed a lot in the past couple of years when dealing with this kind of thing. And I know once upon a time, if the internet went down, it was an inconvenience. But now it's gotten to a point where a lot of times you can't watch television anymore. You can't use the phone, maybe. Uh, Zoom stops working. You can't talk to your boss. Yeah. Yeah. You can't attend classes even. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. You, can't, you can't monitor security. Ooh, yeah. I mean, oh, there's a lot of different things like that. And uh, there are backup systems, but a lot of hospitals use online to get to client patient records. Um, what, I mean, about, what about your, your, your smart home system? If the power goes out or the internet's dropped, does it still work? Okay, you know, we actually talked about that a little bit earlier. It depends on the system. And mm-hmm. uh, it depends on how it's backed up. So, like, just just to use an example again that we used previously, is the um, Ring system. The hub has a backup battery in it and it has a cellular connection. So, if the internet goes down and the power goes out, you do have some time that the security will still operate for your sensors. Now, you can't watch the cameras that way, so that would be unavailable. But the basic stuff is still there. If it's out too long, then yes, eventually it would go dead. Or if you have a situation where the cellular and the regular landline internet's gone, then it wouldn't work. So, um, mm. so without it, you can work, work, make it work for a short while, but then um, after a long period, it, it'll become a problem. Um, well, and there's all mentioned these, the school stuff. There's, there's the school stuff, and there's also the work stuff. If you don't have internet access, how many programs do you use that require internet sharing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of that kind of thing. I always enjoyed having my software that I purchased on my laptop so that if the power, uh, if the internet went out, I could still work. Yeah. But now, if the internet goes out, I might be able to do something on my computer, but maybe not the program that I need because it has to be on the internet. Well, didn't they do something recently with some of the Microsoft Suite stuff too, where you have to be on... Um Online, yeah, Office 360, and the same thing with a lot of Adobe products and yeah, things. And you see this a lot with apps on smartphones. And the other thing is video game consoles. Now, Bill, I know, like with the PlayStation, if you don't have an internet connection, it'll still turn on, but you can't do a lot. Actually, well, I mean, PS4, you can because you know it still downloads the games. You're not; it doesn't. It's linked to your account, so if your system boots up and turns on. You know, you can still access most of your games unless they are specifically online games. Um, you know, games like Warframe or the popular Genshin Impact, those ones you're not going to be able to get into. Um, or, you know, say Neverwinter, or like, it, which you're like playing WoW. You know, if you don't have an internet connection, there is no single player version of it. 
So, you know, those games don't, but I can still play Borderlands. I can still play Cyberpunk. I can still play a ton of games. Um, unless they had that stupid DRM that EA tried for a while where you had to be connected or you couldn't even play the single player version. Right. Right. And that's what I've run into with some stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's the type of thing. Now the other side of technology, there's some positive things. I know Bill, you've been looking at uh, some things to do with prosthetics and some stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is a kind of a personal thing. Um, as you guys know, of course, my mother only has uh, one hand, uh, situation from her childhood and, you know, medical science back in the 60s, you know, that caused this situation. Um, Luckily, we don't have too many of these injuries anymore that caused this. But it kind of set me up in that and I was a Transformers kid. Uh, My mom bought issue one of Transformers when I was still in the womb. So uh, (laughs) I guess you could say robotics and stuff have always been a uh, passion. Um, So when this came out and I started following it, there's a company called Open Bionics. They are 3D printing prosthetics. Now these prosthetics are a little different because they use a methodology of connecting to your nerves um, through uh, basically the little pads they'll put on you for doing like scans and EKGs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these things aren't perfect. You know, it's not full like what you'd see, uh, you know, Johnny Silverhand or something like that from Cyberpunk having where it's fully mechanic, you know, capable of doing things. This one, you still have to mechanically turn the wrist with another hand. Um, there is a young lady who has both arms uh, that utilize these. Uh, they're not selling them for, you know, driving and stuff like that. Uh, there are adults that use them. Uh, these are completely 3D printed. Uh, they use batteries. Um, the mechanism's kind of a you set it up and you go, okay, open signal, and then you get to choose between two sets and or do something else to change between what kind of grip you want. And it has some fairly decent dexterity to them. And this has just come such a long way from when I began watching this, which was just, okay, we have a hand that opens and closes. And so Are you interested in making something for your mom? No, no. Um, she's, as I've said, she's gone her entire life without her arm. Okay. It. Uh, she did have a uh, old style prosthetic, which was this big old fiberglass sucker with the hook. You know those old style, mm. where it had like a sling that went clear around to the other armpit, and you had to like move that arm down to open the hook. And that'd be uh, heavy. Yeah. They're they're it was cumbersome, really. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, we're talking stuff that was made, but she used to have prosthetics that were made for her. Um, I personally, and because of this, will always be someone who, when I can, gives to Shriners Hospitals because of how much goes to the children and what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's who took care of my mom at almost, you know, very minimal ex- expense to stuff um, from the amputation stuff. Because I don't want to get too much into it, but basically, when she came out of the womb, it tore the muscles and nerves in the shoulder. So she has like one movement she can kind of do or two, you know, with her biceps and stuff, but that's about it. Um, you know, there's, she can't go backwards with it cause that's all messed up. Uh, so there is nothing there to really connect to, to do anything with. And she's lived her, you know, life without having another arm. So she's used to it, but it does, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of person who looks towards the future. Yeah, I, yeah, I speaking, the speaking of the future, <laughs> I'm going to ask you this question. We're all into sci-fi. How long do you think it's going to be before we have true cybernetics? Judging from what's being written in the gray data that I've come across, maybe five to ten years. Yeah, I think we're pretty close to. And 
you know, when that happens, it's definitely going to be its own issue, but you'll have uh, situations where you'll be able to do a true bionic arm or, you know, replace limbs or other things, I would think, and uh, and have it actually work. And, you know, so a huge quality of life thing. Uh, of course, then, you know, you'll probably get some people that are very full of themselves because they can do all this other stuff that others can't. But it's, uh, you know, definitely going to be its own thing. But it's just more curiosity than anything. All right. Yeah, this is, uh, go ahead, and then we're out of time. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, this is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. Talk a little bit about Tech Wednesday. We have an article up about the history of technology and some of the secret military stuff. We're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. You can check that out at theanswerportland.com. Our entire archive is up there, so take a look and feel free to submit your questions. Love to get them out here. All of us are also inside, as we have been now going on a year in, in many cases. And streaming television is still something that uh, is really good. And there's still some good stuff out there. There's starting to be some new things. And I know, Gretchen, you've run into a new show. Yeah, um, I've been watching on Netflix. And I've been trying to avoid watching the stuff that I watch with my husband. You know, that whole thing, you know, you don't want to, like, you know, (laughs) watch it without him. And uh, so I was trying to find something that I didn't think he'd be interested in. And it looked like, oh, this looks like a a, a historical drama, kind of like a, a Jane Eyre type thing. So um, what it is, it's called Bridgerton. And it's an American streaming television alternate, alternate, oh, that's not written well, alternative history period drama. Right. And this is done by Chris Van Dusen. And uh, I guess the novels are based on Julia Quinn's novels. And I have to say, it really pleased me that it was surprisingly done really well. This is a 2020 thing. And um, the costumes are beautiful. The locations are beautiful. But you know what really makes me happy is that the story and the acting is done really well. Uh, you can have all of the icing on the cake uh, with special effects and everything, but if your story isn't intriguing and your acting isn't any good, then it's not worth your time. These uh, actors are doing an excellent job, and um, the, uh, the pretty clothing and the pretty settings is all icing on the cake, and it really explores what it's like to be uh, a female in the 1800s. Uh, it, it, life is very different from what it is now. I hear people complain, uh, especially women, and they have no clue how difficult it was during the 1800s, especially if you were wealthy. You were completely held by certain protocols and constraints of behavior that I just can't imagine having to deal with nowadays. So I would suggest if you love Jane Eyre type stuff, check it out, but don't bring your kids. There are some really sexy scenes in here that uh, will make your mother blush. Okay. <laughs> so this is this is an eighteen plus, but 
Sounds like a good show for for the what it is. So this is on Netflix, and what's the name of it again? Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Okay. All right, we'll have to check that out. And until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcasts available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.